Hello everyone, welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. about you sorry if you could go anywhere in the whole world where would you go i always want to be part of something bigger i love that answer something that lasts that means something something more important than life yes it's written in the stars i am a star if i had money i would only spend it on things that were fun you know not boring things like taxes I'm just one for everyone to party forever. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kale Smith. Joining me this week is David Weiser from Film Assessment. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. And also joining us this week is Josh Martin from A Conversation with Two Geeks. Hey, guys. Happy to be back. Awesome. And, uh... Josh, since you are uh, the guest of the week, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us what movie we are talking about this week? Today, we will be talking about Damien Chazelle's newest film, Babylon. Cue the jazz. All right. But yes, we are here. Damien Chazelle's fourth movie, uh, Babylon, and or fourth, yeah, fourth movie. Uh, oh, going fifth, maybe if we count Guy and Madeline on a park bench. Uh, and also, are okay, we also uh, counting the Eddie as well? Isn't that a TV show? It is, but it's a miniseries. Okay, I'm not counting it. No, right, we're, we're talking. I'm talking movies. Excuse me. I'm. This is a. We're talking movies. We do review shows occasionally on the show. Okay. on this podcast but uh i was talking more like he's you know this is his fourth you know feature film technically fifth if we count the other movie and uh he's back it's been a long time uh i think it's been actually four years so mm-hmm. and yeah this is gonna be interesting it's a three-hour epic margot robbie brad pitt uh um uh D- diego calva uh who else am I forgetting? Gene Smart, Lin Jun Lee, Homan Pio, I believe his name is, uh, Pio, um, and a bunch of other actors. I mean, for Christ's sake, we got three from the Red Hot Chili Peppers in this. Absolutely. I mean, so it's just a big pot, big, big, big movie, uh, massive movie. It's going to be a massive success. It's going to be really huge. It's going to knock Avatar out of number one. And by the way, we're recording this on a Friday. I, I can't even finish the joke. God no. damn it, man! I, I I was real. I was letting. I was trying to let you, man. I was just like, well, it's just like uh. This is where the crippling depression kicks in. <laughs> uh, you tell it, wait, David. You telling me it didn't make a hundred million dollars opening weekend? It didn't. It didn't even crack ten million. I mean, it, no. I mean. I mean, look, you're going up against you're going up against James Cameron. I'm sorry, but also there is also well, there are real. Weekend? Well, again, 
should I mention this? They're going up against James Cameron. When we doubt James Cameron, then, you know, you, you lose another billion. I'm sorry. This is how the rules are made. So what you're saying is we should never bet against James Cameron, who's already uh, close to crossing a billion dollars, even though the movie's only been out, what, 10 days, people? <clears throat> but somehow it's a massive failure. Okay. Anyway, that's enough meta commentary from you know I, I mean, the commentary I, table. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, okay Alrighty, no. so yes, we are talking... Yeah, sorry. We are here for Babylon. Uh, and uh, we're here to talk about it. It's gonna, We're going to do over, uh, you know, oversight, not spoilers and spoilers. Uh, so just kind of starting with you, David... Uh, what are your th- what are your thoughts going into Babylon? What were you expecting? What were you, and then what what, what are your general thought, thoughts? So I I've not watched Guy and Madeline yet, but with that with that aside, putting that aside, I would say I I would count myself as one of the biggest Damien Chazelle fans <laughs> there is. Uh, I I own all I well I have four copies of La La Land. Um, or physically so i have the i have the blu-ray uh then i got the steel book the the blu-ray steel book then i got the 4k version uh because i think when i first got it i wasn't collecting 4ks yet and then they came out with that four beautiful 4k steel book last year or earlier this year so i got that one so i have four copies of it I have a poster i have the vinyl i have the vinyl for la la land signed by justin Hurwitz. Um, it, it came from Lionsgate's website, so I didn't like meet Justin Hurwitz. I wish I did, <laughs> but and I then mean, I have, still, I, mean, I have I a replica of the Sebs of the Seb sign. Not, I didn't get a neon one because that was really expensive, but I got uh, a replica of the Seb sign that I have in my room. And then I have uh, both Whiplash and First Man on 4K, and First Man and La La Land were both of my favorite films of their respective years. <laughs> I love Whiplash a lot too, but um, 2014 was a big year, so it didn't quite crack number one. But uh, yeah, so I I am a huge fan of Damien Chazelle. I've been following him very passionately since I saw Whiplash. Um, I liked his Netflix series The Eddie as well. Not quite as much as those movies, but uh, this isn't a time to talk about that in detail. So I went into this with pretty high expectations because this is a new film for one of my favorite filmmakers with like such a huge ensemble cast i mean the trailers sold me sold sold it to me right away and somehow even with those like sky high expectations and kind of i i went into this knowing it was going to be probably his most ambitious movie yet but he still managed to like blow me away and this managed to surpass my expectations in every sense and this like skyrocketed to the top of my uh, best of 2022. Uh, up, it's not number one, but uh, when we get to that discussion, it's it's up, it's it's made it pretty high up the list. <laughs> no way. Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Josh. Yeah, Josh. Okay, so I got a little. Okay, so when it comes to Chazelle and stuff, um, I've obviously been a big fan of him. Um, I really enjoy Whiplash. Really enjoy La La Land. I actually missed out on First Man. Um, First Man is one that kind of came and went kind of very quickly, so I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, And then uh, the Eddie, I've I've only really seen bits and pieces of. And then um, when it comes to 
okay, when it comes to this particular movie, I actually have a, some, a weird kind of relationship with it because um, I may have seen this movie a bit earlier than most people. I'm not going to say how for um, Ooh, just you might have uh, some tea later. Uh, you will just I, I don't want I, I imagine the NDA is probably null and void, especially given the movies come out yet. But I just don't want to get in trouble with any of the studio. So that's all I'm going to say. That being said, the cut I did see was oh, I'll get into what I think of the differences later. But I will say overall with this one, um, I definitely feel like he's three for three right now in my book. Um, just, I thought the performances were really great. Um, Margot Robbie, I am, this is going to be a stacked best actress race this year between, hopefully, um, Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Margot Robbie for, obviously, Babylon. Kate Blanchett for Tar. And maybe Viola Davis. (laughs) Okay, I haven't seen Tar also, so I Look. Okay, Josh, we're gonna let you go from the podcast, and then you go watch it, and then come back. Come back <laughs> hey, to us come in back three hours. Look, I yourself with Lydia Tarr. Look, I, I look. I, these movies come and go. Okay, I don't have time. I, I okay. At the time, I was working be, two jobs. Yeah. To be fair, these and Tar is also like two and a half hours long. Yes. <clears throat> like it's also longer. It's almost as long as Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. And mm-hmm. studios saved all their awards contenders for the last two months of the year and just dumped them out. <laughs> so yeah. that's part of the problem we're seeing now with some of these movies not doing so hot. Yeah, the box which, office, which is just kind of annoying. Almost like I get why, but if you can maybe just spread them out and stuff, me just spread but them out no. and stuff. Jo- but but Josh, the the the, the elderly can't remember. That you know they can't remember everything that came out in April and March. I, I may I'm making an ageist joke, but I, I'm I, 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 I was I was about like screw the elderly. But no, but here's the thing though. But you're right, everyone's right because I mean everything did come out like in like this weird month of like mid October to uh, Thanksgiving where there mm-hmm. was just like thirty fucking movies that just showed out of nowhere because september was so dry august had nothing really after bullet train and december now was kind of vacated for avatar Mm -hmm. uh and they didn't want to mess with cameron yeah and then so i I do pose a question before i get my thoughts on babylon babylon was supposed to go limited this week this past weekend at christmas uh and then open on january 6th do you guys think that would have been a better strategy i think so because of the fact we had that freak winter storm i think if because if it would have opened in new york and la i don't know that those two markets were really as affected by it so like so i don't think it would have stopped the people in those markets from going to see the movie and then word of mouth could have build, built. I mean, it would have still been, I think it would have had divisive reaction no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I think the word of mouth <laughs> on both sides could um, attract people to see it. Kind of similar to like kind of what happened with Mother in a way where like the, mm. the marketing leaned into the divisive nature of that, of that film. Mm. Um, that that could have been an opportunity for them to build on that. But yeah. I think that it not all is lost for Babylon uh, quite yet because I mean they still have if if they keep racking up award nominations 
I think people will seek it out. And plus, I could see Paramount, like, writing this off if they get the award nominations. Right. Well, and also, Paramount has had a banger year. I mean, almost Mm -hmm. every movie they've released this year has either made profit or made bank. Mm -hmm. So, I can see... Because, I mean, studios, they have to have tax write-offs anyway. Mm -hmm. So, they can, you know, recoup whatever or, you know, have something to, like, get back later. Mm -hmm. Because this is how the system works. So, I can see a world where Babylon is, like, the sacrificial lamb that's just like, well... We put it out there uh, in front of Avatar. It bombed, uh, and so we'll just make this our like quarterly like tax write off. Because honestly, like I think they were thinking Smile would be one, or uh, Confess Fletch would be one. But everyone, every like literally everything Paramount has made has I think either broke even or did actually okay, like did very well. Like I mean, mm-hmm. we had Top Gun, but still. Mm-hmm. Everything's just been doing great. So mm-hmm. um, I think for them to have, and also I think they were also a little cocky to be like, our movies are doing great. Why don't we just open in Christmas, give it to Babylon to everyone. Let's even roll out some 70 millimeter prints for the New York, for the prestigious New York crowd. And uh, then the winter happen. <laughs> I would kill to see it on 70 millimeter. But I, it, um, that's never going to happen in Houston, which sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. also, I'm not flying back to New York just for that. Yeah, I, I will say this as a representative of the California market. Um, I'm not in SoCal right now. For I'm actually back at home in NorCal. But as a representative of the California market in general, I could definitely say that if they kept the New York and California release, um, the original plan for the release, which uh, for the LA for the LA New York release, I definitely feel like it definitely would have helped the things a bit. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of with you, David. It's like they definitely could have probably leaned into the marketing and stuff and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because the only movie right now that's like an an Oscar qualifier, as I do air quotes, is that's gonna open in January is A Man Called Otto. That's the only one left. Like, well, let's not forget about one. let's not forget about women talking though. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. Okay, I forgot about. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot about. Them. But yeah, those two movies are the only ones left. Mm-hmm. Whereas everything kind of just got dumped, you know, two months ago. So yeah. it will be really interesting. I think the reason why I think Babylon was always going to be hurt was because if the reaction was always going to be this, this divisive. I mean, right now it's sitting in the 40s in Rotten Tomatoes audience score, and, and has a C plus Rotten Tomatoes score. So I um, feel like uh, cinema score, uh, yeah, a cinema score or a cinema score. Excuse me. Uh, so I think it was always going to have an uphill battle because this movie was always like, the, and the movie is divisive. Like, I mean, it's. I mean, just in its nature. It starts like, off with <laughs> the very beginning scene. Yeah. It's going to turn people off. Yeah. Like, no, the, I, how it, like, are we, is that too spoilery to dive into yet? I, I, I yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering, because, like, I will say this, as someone that did see it, like, and I'm, and when I mentioned I, talk, I saw it early, I saw it months early. Okay, and, okay, okay. You know, calm but, down, Josh. I, I won't say how, but, like, I just... <sighs> I did see it months early, and I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of was surprised at the divisive reaction. Okay, so let me finish my thoughts real quick. But 
but going into it, I am a Damien Giselle fan. Uh, I do think Whiplash was my favorite movie of the decade. Uh, so I like Whiplash either or it was either Whiplash or The Social Network. Those two were like the ones like battling out for number one. So, uh, but for me, I loved and I really loved Damien Chazelle and I loved La La Land. But like, and I feel like they are from the same director, even though one is very nihilistic. It's very cold. It's very like it's a horror movie, and then the mm-hmm. other is this nice, you know, beautiful, you know, cinemascope, you know, color movie. Like it's this musical. It's a beautiful thing. So I, I really love the idea that he's going back to this after First Man and basically finishing a trilogy of like breaking into mm-hmm. the industry. Mm-hmm. And then doing this three-hour epic of where these people, like Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Dean Calva's character, uh, I'm so sorry if I keep forgetting the other two characters, two names, but... Lee Jung Lee and uh, Hoven Apio. Uh, Hoven, okay. And then those guys, like, they all break in. They all have, like, their breaking in point to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all either exit out kill themselves or they, they all have like they all have a downfall they so, all get chewed up by hollywood and shout out yeah mm-hmm. so yeah absolutely david you got it mm-hmm. <clears throat> so and i love that it's the most nihilistic of the three movies of like whiplash la land and babylon or i love it in i love like where it ends and like and yeah and it's a movie that is going it is about innovation and the people lost in the background of those who like from the previous regime so i don't know like i genuinely felt like i genuinely love this movie i really liked it a lot but yeah let's get really into the nitty-gritty uh david you wanted to talk about the beginning of the movie so uh speaking of shit (laughs) <laughs> the fact that it that it begins with like this sequence of this uh diego calva's character trying to transport this elephant there's this guy that arrives with a horse trailer and he's like yeah we're here for this very big horse and he's like oh it's not a horse and he's like he he like sees the elephant and he's like actually like how he kind of like backtracks to kind of like calm the guy down like, I, I yeah. that was just yeah. like a hysterical sequence, and then when it all culminates to an elephant's like shitting on the like um the guys that are <laughs> the handler, the handlers, yeah, like and like the fact like you gotta have balls to start your movie off like that, and then directly follow that up by like a crazy orgy party where people are doing hard drugs and like it's just utter insanity. I, like, I, I I will yeah. say this: the, when I saw the movie early on, I I noticed in the especially in the cut that you know that's been widely released and stuff, I do feel like that there was a bit. I um like you kind of can tell like I feel like that was a bit censored because there's the part where like the camera like kind of like blocks it a bit, and I'm wondering if they were like uh if the NBA was like yeah you you gotta deal with this. Because I, I noticed when, that, and it just kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Which, I mean, this movie all did get an NC-17 originally. Like, they were very close. Like, they got it, and then they had to, like, really, like, maneuver, blur some stuff. Uh, like, they had to do a lot of editing because, or, like, not a lot of editing, but they had to do a lot of, like, just, like, 
mm-hmm. you know trickery to kind of hide some of it uh some of the like the fucking and the orgies and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because yeah i mean because this and i feel like that's like part of what damien Giselle is saying like this is a movie where the star this is a time where the stars because they don't have a voice they can just like fuck around they can just you know they they only have to just show up and just act like they they there's no dialogue to remember they can just show up and just listen to the director direct as we see like in the succeeding sequence after the prologue Mm -hmm. is that all these actors they just show up and they're just given like good direction and they just somehow make it by the you know especially brad pitt's character uh Mm -hmm. jack conrad like he just (laughs) oh my god okay the Okay, can I we know, talk I about that sequence? Like, the yeah, utter yeah. not to skip the chaos. orgy, but we have to get to the cross cutting of like both Margot Robbie filming her scene and Brad Pitt with Diego Calva filming their scene. Um, I will say this as <clears throat> someone that again, I'm not gonna, as someone that works currently in the film and TV world, I will say this it feels like that every single day. <laughs> I, I bet, like, because there's so much happening, there's so much to do in one day, and mm-hmm. because everyone's fucking up, and there's things that, you know, come up awry, like, the like the extras just going, we want more money, we want, like, to be paid, we want to, you know, whatever. So, so you have, you know, so you have the scene where Diego Calva, like, so they bust ten cameras, which, uh, director, that is on you. <laughs> You can't bust 10 cameras. You have to pay for this stuff. Um, so, but no, they have to go find another camera and they go to the rental shop and the camera's not even there. The camera's running late because they're, because the other guy, which is a very common thing in the film industry, like the, mm-hmm. they're going to show up late. They don't care. They don't care if they have to pay a late fee. So, but that's the only camera they can get. And the guy, he, you know, steals an, Diego Calva steals an ambulance, gets this fucking thing, and Spike Jones is playing, like, this German director. Uh, <laughs> and even when they get the camera, the lighting's perfect, Brad Pitt stumbles out, because he's been drinking all fucking day. He, mm-hmm. Hell, he's been drinking since we started the movie. Uh, and they, they have to help him get up this goddamn hill. <laughs> Oh, and I mean, I'm just sitting there with anxious breath because I also like was I'm a film stu- or I was a film student, and I'm a and I produced a lot of short films, so I know exactly like how hard it is to like wrangle mm-hmm. wrangle all this together. So watching this for me was like PTSD, like reenactment. Oh wow! So yeah, I mean, I've never worked with you know, explosions or lots of a- extras, but. Just see, but I I understand these people, and I understand mm-hmm. the feel. Yeah, yeah, okay. and it is like that, Dave. It, D- David, I don't know if you've worked on a short film at all in college, but or, or, or um, on a film set in general, or on a film and TV set in general. But that is literally how it feels. Like you feel like you're racing against time and energy and life and everything. You're racing against the the world to and get this money. Thing. Oh, and money too, to get this you know shot that will live that hopefully will live you know forever you know, and 
you have all this shit going wrong. The actors are showing up late. The cinematographer is fucked up, you know, and or the ex or the extras are complaining about where having guns in their hands, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, just shit happens, and I love all those sequences where, and then you cut to Margot Robbie's where it's just like this simple scene where they're in a bar, mm-hmm. and even that's its own like you know chaos because it's her first day of acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also there's a there's a scene. Of, this is a bit later on, but there's also another scene, especially like when, um, and this is potentially going forward into the plot. The movie it's also about the introduction of the talkies and stuff, and how Sam was brought in and stuff. And we literally get the scene where like literally like they're trying to shoot with a scene with like sound in, and everyone is like, just like what the fuck just. <laughs> It reminded me of the the scene in Hail Caesar with Alden Ehrenreich and Ray Fiennes when it's like would the would that it we were so simple and he's like has to say it like so many different times mm-hmm. like and they have to keep doing different takes of it and he can't get it right but like this is like less so of like it's not entirely on Margot Robbie's character on um, Nina Leroy, um, Nelly Leroy, Nelly Leroy, and. Yeah. And more so on like everyone on the set. Like there's like it's gotta be something every take. And then the fact that like I think it was interesting for him to like lean into like more of what made that culture so toxic in terms of like that filmmaking lifestyle. And when the mm-hmm. cinematographer fucking dies while yeah. he's like inside that like boarded up thing and they he keeps saying i can't i can't breathe in here it's so hot and like no. they're they're just ignoring him and shutting yeah him he's having a heat stroke yeah uh he's dead and just like yeah. just and just yeah no just oof. and we end the scene not knowing if he actually got the shot like that's the most like incredible like that's the most like heartbreaking slash like gut punch you know part is like did he even get the shot like before he died too like because now it's like they did went through all this hell and they sell they to get it and he's dead like and it was all because and and it shows the hardship of it and it shows like how this there was no regulations there was no nothing like there was nothing for you know anyone mm-hmm. and because it was so new People just did not understand that, you know, when there was a red light, they can't just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, pop in. And of course, it's so well put together. Like Tim, Tom Cross has probably got to be one of the best editors mm-hmm. uh, working today because of how he just like crosses everything. Like you, f- like every pin drop you hear, every the door opening that, you know, anything like like you hear it, you mm-hmm. feel it. And it's like cut together like like a horror movie. Like you mm-hmm. feel these people. Like these people are like on the edge. And on top of that, you have Jeff Carlin over here, like saying, "We gotta move along." And it's like, dude, this is a new process. It's gonna take some time, but they can't say that. So, yeah. it, uh, and the the sound stuff is so new that the guy, the, even the sound guy, doesn't really know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. so that's an even bigger like what the fuck so mm-hmm. uh yeah so it's just like i i feel for those people although on all my movies i've worked on or shorts that i've worked on 
the sound people were like the easiest to work with. <laughs> Absolutely the easiest to work with. So and this I, was not an endorsement for them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no. I, I've, I've, you know, when I did my college projects and stuff and when I've um, worked with some people, they normally are very nice. Well, they're quiet. They keep to themselves. You know, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. you know, give you the thumbs up if they got it or thumbs mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and because, and, and, and look, it's the, the sign of the times, like technology's come a long way because now we can just do a boom and just have someone record it on like a little, like, I don't know, like thing, like a, like a, like a little monitor thing. Uh, it's it, like, everything's just easier and more compact. So versus back then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, All right. there, there definitely was a limitation of the technology and stuff. Especially with like, especially with like, for example, like you mentioned, like getting the shot and stuff. Like then you would have to like go and get that developed, and that would take a couple of days. Yeah. All right, but yeah. So let's kind of get into the meat of this because the story really is Brad Pitt is an aging actor who's also who's you know going out of style, you know, and then you have Brad Margot Robbie, who's a new girl who is like finding her stride as a silent movie actress just as the talkies are coming in mm-hmm. then you have dago calva who becomes like the producer of like kinescope pictures which is now mm-hmm. which is essentially paramount yeah it, it's, it's pretty much paramount and i will say um and this might even get where i can't work i i won't lie there's some stuff in that movie especially towards like the end stuff that like i'm just like hey yeah, I recognize that Paramount, you know, studio entrance. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I loved that he brought back like that um, older classic Paramount logo for the opening. While we're just talking about Paramount, yes. like that was that was cool. That was great. <laughs> Absolutely. That was great uh, and then you know uh, Lamar's character, the Lamar character, the uh, uh, trumpet. What is the oh, uh, yeah, the yeah. Uh, Owen, um, Owen Opio's character, uh, Cindy Palmer. Cindy Palmer, you know, he becomes like a silent, he becomes like a star uh, for the talkies because he's bringing in like jazz music into all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Ling Bing Bang's character, she kind of has a, like she becomes a big person, but then, okay, well, okay, we're skipping around a little too much, sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay, we forgot about this rattlesnake scene. Yes. That's way further in, but like, <laughs> well, the yeah, I was I'm jumping ahead a little too much, so I'm trying to backtrack. Uh, because there's a scene in between like the talkie stuff and Brad Pitt like marrying mm-hmm. uh the Hungarian actress Catherine. and then Catherine Waterston. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. can we? I love the bit of uh Brad Pitt having like a new wife almost every time he's introduced, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and every time he's brought back, oh, there's a new wife and like. Uh, it was just and really, they hate I him thought that was more. a great gag. And like how it's like, he goes from like Olivia Wilde to some Hungarian actress to Catherine Waterston to, I don't, I don't think the last one was like a especially known actor that I was mm-hmm. familiar with. No, it's not. But yeah, but yeah, no, that's a great bit. And then uh, the scene where, you know, she... Because it's right after like the talkie stuff, like this the mm. movie that she's in where she's a talk, you know, it's her first talkie. Everyone's commenting on how she sounds like a horse or a donkey, and the scene where she's in that bathroom, mm. and 
it's so heartbreaking. And Margot Robbie just, I mean, lives in that moment for a good bit. And mm. I love that for her. Mm-hmm. I love it. Like, I, I love that performance she's giving. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Margot Robbie in this movie, like, she really does, like, I think she earns her Best Actress nomination here. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were like, I think we're thinking too, like, it's too, you know, it's too soon or it's too... It's a little bit too early. And also, I think another factor is that we don't know, at least at this current moment, like, what the Oscar, like, what, what's essentially going to be nominated this year. Because this but is kind I, of a weird year. Yeah, but I feel like she's not a lock for winner, but she definitely deserves at least a nomination because I think this is her best performance. Oh, yeah. No, she, oh, yeah. No, she definitely will. The, 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 no doubt. This is definitely going to be um, a nomination. Definitely for sure. Um, and if we honestly didn't have Williams or Yo this year, she would automatically get a win. Yeah, because, I mean, she's really just been... Mm-hmm. a hollywood star for like the last what decade now because i think wolf of wall street was almost a decade ago yeah so. 2013, Next which, year. yeah well yeah no wow and also like i i will say this the best way kind of i've been describing this movie to people is actually wolf of wall street meets once upon a time in hollywood i mean that's a good I, so I, I would add to that like Hail Caesar, La La Land, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Wolf of Wall Street all got together and had an orgy. That's what that's what this. And then Boogie Nights also came in, and Boogie Nights also joined the club. Oh, I didn't even think about Boogie Nights, dude. I mean, this is basically Boogie Nights. Like this is almost like a remake of Boogie Nights. Just take the porn out and then set it in the silent era. <laughs> that's basically what this movie is. It, I mean, I hate to break people's hearts, but that's what it is. It's basically Boogie Nights. You have the crazy Alpha Molina type character towards the end of the movie show up. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's that movie. Um, By the way, we'll we'll get to Toby McGuire later. Everyone, hold on. We will get to Toby. Speaking of, it's kind of interesting to think that the two like characters you can draw that line comparison between Mm -hmm. would be Alfred Molina and Toby McGuire, like Doc Ock and Spider Man. So it's like, oh, that's where we bring it all together. (laughs) Yeah, Damien Chazelle was paying attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But no, okay. uh, So who wants to take the rattlesnake scene? I will. Um, when okay. it comes to the rattlesnake scene, I, w- I, I, it, that scene was like gnarly, and also like, how did you shoot this, Damien? Like, I, I imagine that there probably was like a prosthetic and stuff, and like probably, but I it's was like, CGI. Oh, so, oh, it's a CGI. Oh, that's a CGI. That's. that's a I think it. CGI. Well, I think at least like when she's holding it. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, I'm in a prop. But yeah, no, I, I, I gotta say that that was a pretty gnarly scene. Yeah, that scene was so hysterical, though. Like (laughs) when, like Brad Pitt's like rushing to her aid and gets knocked outside by the car. Like that was hilarious. Like the fact the whole the whole thing leading up to it with like her 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 dad like oh I'm I'm used to find a snake and then she finally gets him out there and he just passes out and she's like all right none of you are man enough to do it I'm gonna do it. And then, like, within, like, 30 seconds, it just latches onto her neck. Yeah. Also, um, let's not forget who plays her dad. Eric motherfucking Roberts. Yeah. 
That man has been over and over. Like, I think like last I checked, over 150 movies. Mm-hmm. And Julia Roberts is like uncle or yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Or like they're related somehow. Yeah. It's also funny to me that Margot Robbie and Samara Weaving shared a few scenes together when everyone says they look so similar. <laughs> they do. I thought that was like a twin or something. I literally thought like. It was freaking. I feel to watch like them both I feel together. like he did that on purpose. Like that was Damien Chazelle kind of like poking at that like little <laughs> that like idea that people say they're like twins. <laughs> I mean, they basically are, and they're from both. They're both from Australia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... I love that scene where, um, like, after uh, she's kind of starting to take off, and uh, she's like on the on the film set purposely trying to like drive this lady insane this uh, this samara weaving's character where she's like your your nipples are your your icing your nipples and she's like no i'm not and then walks off to the side and just grabs some ice cubes and stuffs them in and then the whole thing where like she decides to get plastic surgery to delay the shoot so that this girl this actress won't get the movie made like in time and stuff and like it was just like the acts of sabotage that she goes through like man this movie is hysterical at times like Mm -hmm. yeah it oh yeah it's it's insane it's really really like it's crazy i mean it just goes to shows like her dedication like one of the Lila Delroy's uh, dedication to like just wanting to break out, like and break out against nepotism, because that's what we find about Samara Weaving. Is it her dad or somebody owns the studio or something? So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, also, uh, what I do like about uh, the other characters, uh, Lee Weaving and Cindy uh, uh, Palmer. So sorry. Cindy Palmer. I'm so sorry. I keep forgetting everyone's names. I will pull up the Wikipedia just so uh, this will happen. But anyway, what I do love about them is it shows like also like what was happening, you know, in race during, with race during that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, like the only roles like uh, uh, Lamar could get was uh, just to play as a trumpet. Like that was it. Like that was his mm-hmm. like calling card. And then, uh, for uh, and then for uh, uh Lee, character, um, that Lee, she was just what her okay, her character, just so we can have this correct, uh, her character name is late as Lady Feizu, and she's played by Lee Jun Lee. Lee Jun Lee, okay, Lee, okay, got you, Lee Jun Lee. Well, for her character, um, like all she gets to play is like the mysterious, you know, Asian type, like she gets mm-hmm. to play the mysterious. Like, that's all she gets, and even then, like the, Diego Calva has to cut her out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as a Mexican, he has to cut her out. Yeah, and that also leads us into the whole scene with Cindy uh, Palmer and stuff. And I'm just like, and you, you can tell there is no fucking dialogue between that scene, and it's mainly like even in, so, there's like one two lines, and like you can see from their expression, be like, what the fuck, and it's like. Yeah, and it's like shit, and it's like oh wow, this is a, just not as again as someone that's as a black man. It's like fucking hell. Yeah, and that, and I don't, and that was kind of like my question is so, 
Because here's the thing. Like, Damien Chazelle is a white guy. And he's making mm-hmm. a, Mex- a Mexican actor tell another actor to do this. Like, I was so uncomfortable watching it. and But also, like, in the back of my mind, like, this had to happen. This probably did happen. Or really mm-hmm. did happen back then. Because the thing about the movie... Because the thing is... And also, like, watching this movie, it's like, I know the mistakes that these people are making also, and I know how to fix it. Like, I know, like, the problem with Sidney Palmer's, like, the, the problem with they're, they're having with Sidney Palmer's, they're putting the light, they're putting way too much light on him. So, of course, they, but they don't have a way to tone down the lighting so it doesn't make him look on camera, you know, too light. Mm-hmm. So, like, I... I and so they have, so unfortunately, their only solution is, which even that is a backstab because you're telling another black man you're not, you're not black enough. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just that whole scene is so uncomfortable and so hard to watch. Sorry. I'm sorry. I had to go on a parade about it. No, sorry. No, no, no. And I think you reach on in the. You- definitely hit it on the nail like that is a very hard scene and even again when i saw this movie months ago i was like there are definitely gonna be discussions about this scene i imagine that there's even some critics are like uh what the fuck is this and there's also something to be said just about um just manny as a character in general that i do there's a couple things i wonder about that but like i don't really want to get into specifics because i don't know what chazelle's intentions were and stuff, but I also don't want to take away anything from Diego Cafla because I think Diego Cafla is perfect in this movie. Oh yeah, no, he's great. Oh, yeah. If the movie wasn't a bomb, this would be a star turning performance for him. Oh yeah, no, he's definitely going to get a um award buzz for this. Like at least that's at least that's my hope because they are pushing him for best actor, which I believe he deserves. And I believe well, he's he, the main character, so well, yeah. obviously, obviously, yeah. And also, I think he holds his own against both Robbie and Pitt. Yeah. Yeah, like, and to be, f- and I mean, and, and this is a part where, I mean, he's working against, like, the biggest movie stars right now, and, mm-hmm. but, I mean, he holds his own, and he's not that much older than us. Mm-hmm. Like, he's only just, I think he only just turned 30 this year, so. Wow. He, you know, so he's going up against these, you know, titans, and, like, giving really good, powerful scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it later, but he has a scene with Margot Robbie in the house that just, I mean, mm. holy shit. Like, I loved his whole relationship and dynamic with um, Nina DeLoy. De- De- uh, Nelly uh, DeLoy. Nelly DeRoy. Nelly DeRoy. No, Nelly DeRoy. Yeah, Nelly LeRoy, excuse me. Nelly LeRoy. Okay. Also, Nelly I finally Leroy, have the Wikipedia. Like, there were Manny and... Uh, so... Um, I liked the relationship and dynamic between Nellie and Manny over the course of the film and how even though they both kind of rose up and she kind of like shot off in her career, she kind of from the very get go, when you're introduced to her, she makes it very clear she's not going to compromise who she is in order to be successful in the industry. And that works out in her favor early on. But once it transitions to the talkies, and she has to face this new innovation and kind of adapting who she is. She's not really repair, prepared for that in order to do that and like kind of be able to succeed in this new age kind of Hollywood. 
where people care about morals and what you're what the actors are mm-hmm. doing behind the scenes and stuff like she's not really prepared to change who she is and she's not going to because she's very um stubborn and um mm-hmm. very so she's very stuck in her ways and she was not going to adapt to that whereas you look at manny um while he does still kind of stay he a part of him kind of um remains intact he also totally changes who he is over the course of the movie as he becomes like this prolific producer and he has to make these tough calls such mm-hmm. as um making sydney palmer put on the uh, the makeup um for like that blackface sequence or cutting um uh lady love lady lady face lady face face you cutting her from the studio being involved in the studio at all because of the and and it's interesting to see how even when nelly Leroy kind of does him wrong in a sense of like he is still loyal to her and he's still not not that not that she does something like totally awful to him but like he's clearly in love with her from Mm -hmm. like the moment he meets her basically um and he his loyalty for her never wavers even when he's put in these difficult predicaments where he has to figure out a way to make her adapt to this new um to uh to this talk to the talkies and make her marketable again and i thought that was all very fascinating and it made for a really interesting uh, dilemma for his character and especially as she kind of keeps pushing the limits of that as she eventually like kind of to i'm kind of like doing broad strokes of the course of their arcs <laughs> but like the the point where she's gambled all her money away and her life is at risk and he still gets involved on her behalf and goes and meets with toby mcguire's character which we'll get into that scene and i i just thought it was really interesting and then even after all of that and when they seemingly are committed to one another and are ready to go with lope and get married it seems she still isn't it feels like she's still not ready for that commitment or that life and mm-hmm. she kind of still runs away like mm-hmm. you know it's it's it's, it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah and the ending of the movie like you feel like it's building to this climax of where they both finally realize they are meant for each other or they want each other. But the problem with her character will always be, and and it's kind of set up during the, this is going way back when they're in New York and they're at the Mm -hmm. like sanatorium, uh, the Mm -hmm. mental hospital Mm -hmm. where she's always going to have this, you know, image of herself where she wants to be free she you know she's a free bird she has to be free you know of like whatever confines you know that's why like for her when she's at the party you know with the elites she just can't handle it because it's so confining it's so Mm -hmm. and also they're looking at her like you know a peasant Mm -hmm. a peasant or an animal that's waiting to break out of the cage and in that so, same sequence, yeah. I thought it was interesting how they had Sidney Palmer. His character was kind of like, mm. while he was in that party, he kind of became like the subject of conversation where it was almost like he was like a, um, like the way he was viewed was mm. like he was like, 
I, I, I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but it's kind of like the, the racial dynamics there just like make you feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I will I will say this as a resident black person in the room. I will say this. Um, I'm going to call it the get out bit. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. That's a good way to say it. I was going to mention another movie, but go ahead. Yeah, I, know. I, I, I will call I let, let's call that the get out bit where. Yes. And and, and and let's just say I, I dealt with that personally in real life and it's kind of fucking weird. Yes. I was going to mention the uh, sorry to bother you moment where Army Hammer t- asks uh, the main character like to rap in front of his peers. Oh, well, I mean, we can also... it's kind of that moment. But yours is actually better because mm-hmm. yours is a, because yours calls to an actual like mm-hmm. to some, yours calls. Yeah. So but no, it is that moment, and but it's a moment where it's cross-cutting to Brad Pitt finding out that his movie's a bomb mm-hmm. or a critical dud at uh, the moment, and it's also cross-cutting to uh, did oh yeah no wait and also not only is his movie a dud but his friend has died his friend that we have been fo- we haven't even mentioned George I'm sorry George Poor sorry George, George. uh. Rest uh, in peace to a to a real one. <laughs> well, he really, really had attachment issues. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, so he, re- so yeah, no, George. Uh, so his friend is dead. Uh, his movie's dead, and then you get to, and then like uh, Lady Lady Fitzroy, Lee Lee Jung Ji. I'm just gonna say uh, Lady Jung Lee. Leela Jolie's character. I ha- I'm so sorry. I'm butchering everyone's name. Uh, I'm, her character is kind of just now out of the picture. We don't even know where she's at in the middle of this cross cutting. So like, it's interesting, like how the and also Diego Calva is like tr- the one person, the one guy that's holding this whole fucking thing together. Mm-hmm. Like for all of them, like for all of them to an extent. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so there's just all this stuff going around and it's happening very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's just chaos. It's pure chaos. And then she throws up on the rug and throws up on everyone. So, cause mm-hmm. for reasons, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then, yeah, we get to the third act of the movie where, Nellie is in debt to Tobey Maguire's character. Diego Calva still doing okay as a producer, and then uh, I think Brad Pitt's character has like bombed two movies. Mm-hmm. And we get the scene with Gene Smart's character, mm-hmm. Eleanor St. John, who mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of people. El- Eleanor St. John, none of these people except for uh, I've Irving Thalberg. Uh, none of these people are real people i should say like they're not real like they're not based on actual people mm-hmm. but eleanor st john is actually like like her character is actually based on real gossip journalists mm-hmm. of the time and well, gossip all a lot of the characters are based on kind of loosely based on real people that existed during this transition period and this mm-hmm. era of hollywood right but like eleanor st john's like the most like accurate to other to like real like gossip journalists mm-hmm. and the scene where they and to me like their scene uh pitt and eleanor uh conrad and eleanor scene uh 
to me, it's like the whole theme of the movie. And it's, it's the, the whole theme of the now. trilogy. Yeah, it's the thesis, not just for the movie, but the entire trilogy of this, like this trilogy I just made up in my head of Whiplash, La La Land, and Babylon, where it's like, mm-hmm. there's all the, like, you know, Hollywood and I guess the music industry for Whiplash. Mm-hmm. Like, there's all these people that are just going to have their time where they produce art and they're going to get paid a lot of money. They're going to live in this, you know, this peak moment of time. And then they're out. Mm -hmm. Their time is out. Whatever they've done, you know, during that time is, you know, how they're going to repay their sins later on for it. And then, uh, but the art they created in this time will survive because someone out there Mm -hmm. will watch or listen, or in Whiplash's case, listen mm-hmm. to this piece of art, and mm-hmm. so, and for a glimmer of a moment, there's this, you know, immortality, if you will, and to me, I feel like that's this is like Damien Chazelle finally realizing, and finally, like able to like articulate like what he's been trying to say with his work is is because even First Man, um. I mean, you have Neil Armstrong doing something that will be remembered for the rest of eternity. I mean, mm-hmm. He's the first man on the moon. Mm-hmm. So, so even so, in a way to tie this to first man, you're we're watching a quartet of movies that are about these people that are that have these glimmers of moments of peak life, and they inhabit, and then they're out. They're mm-hmm. out of their you know, spotlight. And Babylon is into me. What was that? Fifteen minutes of fame. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. So, so, and that's what Babylon is. That's what the third act of Babylon's about. It's about these people that are finally, you know, the the bills have come due, and now they have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with with whatever they have, either money or for Brad Pitt, it's his life because. You know, he really has nothing left. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, he only has seen himself as an actor. Mm-hmm. So now that's done, he has nothing. So that's why. Mm-hmm. So he unfortunately kills himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Margot Robbie, like she's done for because she spent all of her money, mm-hmm. uh, and then some. Mm-hmm. And then Diego Calva betted on being there for Nelly. Because mm-hmm. he just loves her that much. Mm-hmm. It's a tragic story. Anyway, this movie is not divisive at all. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. As someone that saw this early, I'm kind of surprised at the divisiveness that this movie has. Um, okay. I, I, I thought honestly, especially given the fact that you know I compared like Wolf of Wall Street and what's in Hollywood, that like you know critics would be behind this movie. Um. I do wonder, and I kind of hate to bring this up, if there's some outside influences impact this movie. Like, for example, there's some shit with um, Brad Pitt right now that are like... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, someone uh, in my tweet that I posted on Sunday, someone finally posted, without the hashtag, Brad Pitt is an abuser, but they forgot to hashtag it. Yeah. So, Yeah. Uh, but but that's that's not me like discounting it. I'm just yeah 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 no, yeah no no. And I'm Sorry. not discounting his performance by the way. It's just yeah. And like honestly, before that, I was thinking like okay, this is gonna be a triple threat. Um, obviously, 
Um, Pitt is probably going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Kavla is probably going to be nominated for Best Actor. And then Margot for Best Actress. Now that has kind of shifted. I don't even know when SAG comes around if Pitt is going to be supported or not because it's just it, it's a it's a complicated mess that I don't even want to fully get into fully get into but like I do wonder if that maybe has an impact and I also just I heard I've been hearing this one comparison which I find freaking I, I hate to say this I find this kind of fucking stupid um and I get the reasoning why because aesthetically when you kind of look at them they kind of look similar but I, I when you kind of think about it, it's like really and I'm kind of referring to the fact that this movie has lately been compared to David O. Russell's Amsterdam. Which I've not seen, by the way. And I don't Yeah, think... I, I'm not even planning on seeing that. Well, no one so no one here has seen it, right? No. Yeah, no one so knows. we can't even like talk about like because mm. to me the to me the only diff- similarity they have is they both have Margaret Robbie. Yeah. That's it. And they're both period movies, other than mm-hmm. that. Oh yeah, that too. But yeah. other than that, and they have really good cinematographers uh, mm-hmm. working on them. Mm-hmm. But other than that, because uh, Damien Chazelle's not a troubled filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, as far as we know, um, and like, yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, the similarities for me stop there. Also, like, I think Amsterdam is like a mystery movie. Like, so... Amsterdam, from what I've been told, Amsterdam is a mystery movie. Although, Taylor, although apparently Taylor Swift gets killed off in that movie. <laughs> I've seen that clip. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, so David O. Russell was so bold that you know he, he threw died. it. He threw Taylor Swift into the street. To yeah, he ran over. <laughs> God damn it! Wow. I, yeah, no, and but also just I don't know. It's just weird. I. Again, I'm really surprised because there's even like mutuals, like critics that I personally respect that are like, "We're not, I'm not, I'm not into this." And I do wonder if it's because like you're kind of either with the prologue or you're not after the prologue. And then I, I, I if I have to kind of get into some of my, my my minor criticism with the movie, I do feel like the last hour it kind of races to compete to um to compete itself. Now I do wonder if mainly because. Those and this, I, I know this is more on like the second viewing than my first viewing. I've seen this movie twice, by the way. I did see it last time before we did this recording and stuff. But I do wonder if mainly because of the nature of how I saw the piece, and then when I saw it again, that like it just you know just like when you do rough kind of stuff, it's gonna feel longer and stuff. But when you see it a second time, it's gonna feel faster. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's just part of editing is that they're mm-hmm. pro- they're massaging the. Mm-hmm. Runtime of the movie. Okay, so uh, to try and get to the ending here, uh, Dio Calva. Oh, we forgot Tobey Maguire. Fuck it. Fuck, we forgot. Tobey yeah, Maguire. I was about to bring that up because, like, that was one of the most like unnerving sequences in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire is scary, creepy in this movie, and mm-hmm. I loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. Great performance. I w- I think it would be pretty cool if because of all the stuff with Brad Pitt. If I know he's only in like one scene, so I don't know if it's enough for anything to come of it. But it'd be pretty cool if he got like supporting actor recognition for this. I I could see Paramount pulling that, I, especially given that. And I just actually learned about this. Apparently, he's an EP on the movie, an executive producer. Yes, he is. So he was the executive producer on the movie. 
So I could see them pulling that off, especially if like, and also it would be interesting, especially if like him and like Judd Hirsch from um, Fablemans go against each other, or they David both Lynch, and, yeah, yeah, or David Lynch, because why not? Well, I I don't know that I push Lynch, but I definitely know that they'll push Hirsch. Right, but I see what you're saying, like because Tommy McGuire to me gives like the second or third best performance in the movie. On top of a His whole appearance list of other in this movies. movie, these movies aren't really that similar other than the fact they're both set in uh, Los Angeles. But uh, it kind of reminded me of Bradley Cooper's character in Licorice Pizza, where the, he comes in for that major like sequence and like the around the kind of close to the climax of the movie, and he's like becomes like an instant standout in this like stacked cast. Well, Licorice Pizza isn't as stacked of a cast, but you you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and like, I know, yeah, and I and I will agree with that. Although I will say when it comes to Licorice Pizza, and I'll just say this right now because I don't think I ever talked about something publicly. I'm not the biggest fan of that movie. I really kind of hated it, but oh. he was the best part, honestly, mainly because he played John Peters. And if you know anything about John Peters. I mean that's a pretty accurate performance of John it's Peters. Pretty damn accurate. A reenactment. Uh, although John Peters was a lot is a lot shorter in real life. Uh, so but imagine anyway. if they just because he's so much shorter. Imagine if like Tom Cruise had been in that role, and he's also worked with PTA. Just imagine, like I feel like that would have gone hard. I mean, well, I think Bradley Cooper killed it, but like. I think that would have been pretty dope. <laughs> like, as well. Well, and also Bradley Cooper I, didn't work with John Peters, but he probably had to like deal with John Peters on A Star Is Born because mm. Peters still technically owns the rights to the films mm. or to the remake, so to the other uh, original movies. So mm. yeah, so I'm sure for Cooper it was also like yeah, I get to like stick a middle finger to this motherfucker mm-hmm. um which john peters actually seemed to like the his portrayal according to pta so that's uh, interesting that is so interesting uh anyway anyway back to babylon so we have toby mcguire he has a guy who eats rats and then lots of nude like men an alligator uh, it's basically like one of uh, Stefan's clubs from SNL or Weekend Update, just like a horror version of it. Uh, so it, so yeah, and they go to the which I found pretty interesting. They call it the butthole, the asshole of LA, and it's <laughs> like, yeah, of course, the last party place that would be open is this shithole. Where you know, of course, all these orgies that we saw, they would go. They would obviously go like from the mansions to now. They would just creep into these like tunnels to go hide where they could have these or continue the orgy, continue the you know the you know this you know insanity. So I, I will, found that interesting. Go I will ahead. say this as someone that also currently lives in so in uh, Southern California and in LA. He's not fucking wrong. Toby Maguire? Yeah. Yeah. No, and and I just love and then, you know And then what's kind of giving more attention to the whole sequence is the fact that the props guy reveals, oh, 
or I don't remember if he was a props guy or not, but he's the guy that yes. brings mm-hmm. something from the props guy. He brings fa- the money they're bringing is fake, like prop money. And so Diego Calvo is just like gnawing on his seat, you know, like kind of like scared out of his mind. Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. we're dealing with like, this is like legit. These are like legit mobsters. And we just gave them fake money. And yeah. we want to try to get out of here. And they're taking us into this like the pit of hell. Twisted pit. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it is so great. Like it's so, and it's scary. It's shot mood. Like it's cut together horror, like a horror movie. Like mm-hmm. Damien Chazelle, like covers a lot of genres in this one movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would like it, to see him direct a horror. I mean, especially knowing he wrote uh, or was a writer on Ten Cloverfield Lane. I think it'd be interesting to see him direct a horror film. Mm-hmm. And he has that he has that deal with. So, like a lot of people are saying, like he's going to end up in director's jail or whatever. But he has a uh, picture deal with a first look picture deal with Paramount now. So, like he that was announced before the release of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And I think between that and them moving it to the this past weekend showed the studio had a lot of confidence and faith in the movie um not necessarily that it that panned out how they thought it would but i i think the studio i think they worked well together and had a had a good Mm -hmm. good collaboration right and and to and to be fair not that this is an indicator of quality but uh the tweet i made about babylon on christmas day uh, is st- I'm still getting likes for it, and I'm almost at like 200 likes. Not to say this is a barometer of like how I should read like the film culture, mm-hmm. but this never happens to me, and I don't know if I'm being liked by a bunch of bots or what. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I haven't been able to look at everyone's account, but it is interesting, like that Babylon, like is getting a lot of support. So I wonder if the movie will have any legs. I do. I, I, I see it definitely has, like, the people are in, like, two or at least a cult opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah. I, I can On see how it, they've responded to it. I, I can see it having a cult following slash legs, especially given that really the only big non... Like, I, like at the moment right now, we have obviously Avatar, and that's going to be, like, the big, huge four-quadrant blockbuster that's going to attract families and stuff yeah 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 yeah. and then we also have puss in boots which is also going to attract families and stuff especially given the word of mouth on that and also um judging from also someone that has also seen it it's really good y'all check it out um puss in boots is what puss in boots what puss in boots last wish um that one's also really good um apparently so but like if but i think for folks that are especially folks that are because again, we also got to contend with the fact that currently in other parts of the country, or depending on where you are, there's a winter storm happening right now, and just folks are just like, you know, I'm not really willing to get out of the house, and then also, you know, we still have, you know, a pandemic, yeah, a pandemic our world and stuff. I can de- definitely see it, especially if you're looking for like a non kid kid related or a non blockbuster. This might be the only choice you got. I think that's why I think they were planning for it to work as counter programming mm-hmm. and they just had this I I know I'm not saying it would have been a massive hit if it weren't for the storm per se but that kind of didn't help their situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and also um they they're going to run up against Megan in 2 weeks. 
Yeah, no, a week and a half from now. Mm. So that might also eat up its audience. And then A Man Called Otto is also opening uh, sometime in January as well. So, and that's getting also a lot of buzz. Like, it's a last minute, like, Oscar contender. It probably won't get anything, but it is like a last minute, like, people were kind of like, oh, it kind of snuck up on people, like, how good that movie is. I imagine that's probably going to be more directed towards, like, the 40 plus crowd. Oh, of course. The 40, the 40 plus crowd. Um, as for Megan, I could definitely see that being more of a niche genre crowd. Yeah, or right. like I, I can see that going well with like millennials and mm-hmm. Gen X, mm-hmm. <laughs> Gen Zs. Yeah, Gen Z, Gen Gen, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't know, like the, and that was kind of the problem. Like, so the trailers I thought were fine, but. Like, they didn't really, they just didn't, like, really present a lot. And then on top of that, you had this problem of they showed it in front of every movie. So if you're one of those people that shows up, like, 10 minutes before a movie, and you watch all 25 fucking minutes of trailers, Mm -hmm. you got to see Babylon in almost every movie you saw. Yeah, and I will say the trailers um, kind of spoil a lot. And like, look, I know I get that this is probably a very hard movie to market. I mean, it's literally a nineteen twenties period piece about, you know, the uh, silent film era of Hollywood coming to an end and the talkies being interviewed. I imagine outside of probably the three of us, that probably would not probably interest a lot of folks. And it was greenlit by a different regime at Paramount. Like this was greenlit during the Jim Janopoulos. Mm-hmm. This was like one of the last movies to be green light, green light by Jim Janopoulos, and now they have Brian Robbins, who also, who's just like I want to do like smaller movies, smaller like you know, indie stuff, you know, or it's not indie stuff, like just smaller mid range budget stuff. Yeah. Uh, so for him to do get this on his lap is like, um, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I I feel for. I do feel a little bit for Paramount because they've really had like a banger year mm-hmm. for movies. Like Sonic um, 2, Top Gun Maverick, Smile became a really big hit. Jackass Forever, I think, came out this year. Did it? I think. I think it was early. It was earlier this year, correct? Or was it early? Yeah, I think it was in February. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because they pushed it. Right. Okay. So, and then, I mean, Smile was you know for better or worse a hit mm-hmm. um uh and then yeah and then they ended the year with this so it is a little bit of a bummer but i mean i feel for them also but yeah you know what it's a snowstorm too yeah, yeah. like this movie would have probably played bangers if this also was count was in paramount plus or something else so but I, then again, who knows yeah no who knows and also i do think like um, I also do think that they are going to probably take a write-off on this one, especially if they're able to get the Oscar buzz. I think that's I think the Oscar and the award buzz, specifically PGA, SAG, and maybe even DGA. What do you think about DGA? Do you think they, this no. one has a, no, no for DGA? Okay, all right. I mean, David. I wish. Yeah, I mean, for David's sake, I would I would love to say yes. <laughs> but I I think there's way too many. I mean, there's just way too year. many. Yeah, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe. But like, I I don't. I I I think it really is too stacked. I mean, you got Todd Field, Spielberg, uh, 
even Del Toro for animated film. I mean, you got, I mean, the, I could go on like the the Daniels. I mean, you got Sarah everyone. Pauly. Sarah Polly, um, uh, I mean, even Darren Aronofsky could still be in the game. You know, for the whale. Yeah. Um, Charlotte Wells is definitely in it for at least debut. So mm-hmm. James um, Cameron. <laughs> and then there's uh, oh, yeah, James, James there's James Avatar Cameron. Yeah. I mean that's I mean that's I, its own discussion. Although I do think in terms of Oscar buzz and stuff, and I know we're kind of varying away, but I will get back to it. Yeah. Uh, um I I will say this. I do think that there's gonna be a four way uh I know a Honestly, there might be a three-way, actually no, four-way popular tie between, um, between everything yeah. everywhere at once, Top Gun Maverick, Wakanda Forever, and Avatar. Like, there's gonna be like a probably a four-way fight between who's gonna get the popular choice for, um, for the Oscars this year. Perhaps. Um, all right. So to wrap mm-hmm. things up with Babylon, uh. There's the great Let's scene. Talk about that final scene. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know what, David? Do you want to take it? Yes. Um, so, Diego Calva's character, Manny, comes back to Los Angeles after, I think, 12 years. Because um, he, he has a little girl. I think it, it I think it says like 12 years later or something crazy like that. It's Maybe. Like, it was 1952. Yeah. So, fast forward to 1952. He's back in LA. Um, we found out, I think we found out at this point that um, Nellie Leroy is um, died, right? Mm. Or is that basically all the characters have died? Yeah, uh, so everyone's dead. He's like one of the last people left from this former regime of Hollywood, mm. and he's not. He, I, I think they do they allude to what his new career trajectory? I know he's like living in new york now he and they're yeah it's like a radio LA. shack he okay. runs like a like a radio shack as they do air quotes. so um he brings his wife and daughter to across from the the paramount or uh kinescope uh, Kill- Kali- yeah. yeah with shots <laughs> kinescope kinescope uh studio lot and he goes and talks to security guards like, yeah, I used to work here, blah, 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 blah. And then he ends up and go, his, his wife and daughter go off and then he goes to go watch a movie. And it turns out he walks into the theater of Singing in the Rain. And as he's sitting there watching it, he's like kind of connecting with the fact that a lot of the characters in that movie are like loosely, kind of similar to Babylon, which is like kind of a raunchy, edgy version of Singing in the Rain, you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like loosely adapting people who were prominent in this transition period. And so like that, I think it kind of adds to it, knowing at the beginning of the movie, when Manny's talking about like the importance of movies Mm -hmm. and what they mean to him when he goes to a theater and like kind of seeing that come full circle with him seeing um, before he was kind of seeing things that were kind of larger than life and kind of like bigger than him, so to speak at the time, like it was Mm -hmm. kind of like, you're just kind of like, you're an elephant handler. And like, now he's like, I was in the business. I was in the thick of it. Those are people that's, those are alluding to people that I knew. Yeah. He's been seen. Yeah. And then like, he's just like, 
overwhelmed by <laughs> witnessing that and then like the crowds loving the movie and stuff and then we have this montage kind of going through the entire innovation of cinema starting mm-hmm. from the very first uh, which is like the the in nope when they talk about the very first uh movie very, picture very... was it with the guy on a horse <laughs> like you see that you see that footage mm-hmm. and then we get like Wizard of Oz, like it just goes takes off from we, there. We get like, Tron, oh, so Tron and stuff. Jurassic and Park, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Matrix, Matrix Avatar. I, I I just think it's kind of hilarious that we got he we have footage from Avatar in a movie opening against the sequel, and like, and it's kind of so funny. And in some cases, especially like my theater, you can hear all the stuff from Avatar in the next goddamn theater. So I'm, and I and I also I will say as someone that also has seen again saw the movie before a lot of folks, uh, this was something that was not in my cut, and apparently also apparently also the script leaked out a little while ago. I think this might have been during lockdown, and and I know that Chevelle kind of wrote it, rewrote it a little bit. Apparently, this was not in the script either. So this was something that they came up with post. Well. Which is interesting because I feel like this is a way to connect, you know, everything that like Calva's Cal, uh, character Manny is seeing mm-hmm. to like to our reality. Like mm-hmm. basically, what Chazelle is coming at with his like ending, like concluding statement is mm-hmm. that with every innovation, rather it be CGI, rather it be color, rather it be um, motion capture, uh, whatever it is. There's always going to be people left behind. There's mm-hmm. always going to be people who are going to get chewed out and left out. And there will be the time. And even then, and even during that innovation, there will be heartache. There will be pain. You know, like it's going to be painful to, you know, it's going to be a trial by error, trial by fire, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Chazelle, I feel like, is connecting our reality to what Cavill is thinking in his head. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, cinema will evolve and it will keep evolving. And if you notice, like all the innovations that um, Chazelle is bringing up, like mm-hmm. they happen pretty quickly, like sometimes mm-hmm. within decades of each other. Mm-hmm. So all these people that are like experiencing like the technical innovations in, or they get to only have like their stride of where like they're like the peak of like where people where Hollywood wants them and Hollywood values them. Mm-hmm. They only have it in a few, in like a very finite amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is Chazelle basically like coming out. It's in connecting everything. And also it connects everything to what Eleanor said. Mm-hmm. when she was sitting there with you know conrad like mm-hmm. it, it it all connects like mm-hmm. it all brings everything forward and i do think it is interesting that they didn't have it in the cut yet when you saw it mm-hmm. just just because like to me without that montage as like it, and it is like it it's a rapid succession of images that could cause like people to have like seizures or whatnot. Yeah. By the way, this and there and I remember actually seeing a warning um in like the front of the theater would be like Babylon and actually Avatar do have things where like this could cause seizures for sensitivity for sensitivity yeah. so for those for yeah. um, the viewers for listeners and stuff. 
right, 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 right. But it, but you know, I can see that you know, uh, but but without the, the this ending sequence, like I don't think the movie would work, or I don't think it would. To me, I feel like this is like the best way to end the story, that's, and then to have Diego Calva. What? That that's interesting. Um, that's interesting because. Uh, it is interesting continue. because you saw it without it. I saw it without it, and it's it's we. It, it's honestly weird. Like I could see where he's going, but I do wonder, and maybe because of the test audience, be like, you know, he kind of looks a bit depressed and sad. Like I could definitely see, like, and I let's depress him even more and, by and nailing just, it in there. Yeah, and just like, uh, and then like he has that like realization stuff. But I, I, I have two minds about it because I do think it works, but I also think that that montage goes way too long. Like you could have cut it off at Avatar and just not done that whole like picture light thing, or the photo colors in the water. Yeah, we didn't need that. Well, I don't know, David. What do you think? I thought it ruled. Um, I, I was telling Josh when the when you quickly uh, were out that I I love that this is gonna be like to me. I think this is the last movie of its kind like a mid-budget R-rated movie, like swinging for the fences every, like, throughout the entire runtime. Like, I don't think we're going to see a movie like this for a very long time, unless it's made by someone like, I don't know, like a Scorsese or, or like a Spielberg. Or a like, it has to be made by, yeah, it has to made, be made by, like, a household name. Uh, and Chazelle is a household name to an extent. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think even he's going to have, while he has that first appeal, I don't think he's ever going to make be able to make some be allowed to make something as ambitious as this movie again, mm-hmm. and that's depressing. Mm-hmm. But I'm, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I think this when um, Sean Levy was talking about Free Guy, and he said it's like he he, I think this was a poor. Um, description of that movie because it is very rooted in IP and stuff but he was like it's the last uh, chopper out of Nam where it's like the last original big original movie whereas I would say this is this fits that descriptor more so not so much for being uh, big but like I feel like it's going to be one of the last original mid-budget movies that takes this many risks and it, it is completely uncompromising and like it it doesn't feel like there was studio interference and like i think that i think it's honestly as i was watching this i'm like this is a miracle that this got made because mm-hmm. uh i i don't think i've ever seen a movie like even wolf of wall street i don't think didn't didn't go as far as uh, babylon does in some instances and so like that it's crazy like i don't think i've ever seen a movie that quite goes as far with um a lot of the um a a movie of this budget range like if it for an 80 million dollar budget that like swings for the fences this hard like so yeah i think this is going to be one of the last movies of its kind unfortunately and i think chazelle like he he hit it out of the park (laughs) yeah no i I think so as well. But I also want to point out, like, I, I would say mid-budget, what I like to call studio art house films. Studio art house films. Because we really haven't got that many, like, mid-budget studio art house films. We got mid-budget art house films, but not mid-budget studio art house films. Also, let's not forget, we had everything everywhere all at once, which was 
a reported $25 million budget, which is, which is mid, which is still technically It's the lower end of mid-tier. It, it's the lo- lower end. It's but... the lower end, and that made over $100 million worldwide. So we're not out there yet. Fair... And that kind of just goes to the question of, if Babylon was released somewhere else during the year, could it have done better? That's the be- That's the better question. Maybe. Because I don't think Everywhere, Everywhere All at Once would have been a big hit if you released it in October, like in this like time period. Like in this oh, time yeah. Period. No, 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 no. I, I think the fact that they like they they got lucky. They they got well, first off, they got it earlier this year. Secondly, right. they got it before a Marvel movie, before an MCU movie that was dealing with similar topics, which is also and just, they ate its lunch and they pretty much bit. and they pretty much like oh, we're just gonna have a piece of that and it just takes like a big huge handful and just like just halves it and but I do I I do wonder that as well um, but I also like I always knew that they were that Paramount was always gonna push this for Oscars. And we'll, we'll 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 see in a couple months to where it, it, it lines up. I don't know what's going to happen with like this year again. It all goes back to the fact that we don't know what the hell's going to happen this year at the Oscars. No, I mean there's, I mean there's safe bets in what's going to get nominated, mm-hmm. but it's but it's still like anyone's game. Mm-hmm. To be honest, even for best actress and actor, it's still anyone's game. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like this is the first year we've ever had that in a while. Mm-hmm. In a while, um, yeah. All right. So, is there any more things to say on Babylon before we go? Um, just some some of my thoughts. I do think that this was just overall um, in both viewings. I just think that this was definitely. I think they was put it best. Um, just. A interesting mid, an interesting just I don't know, I don't know what to call it. I don't want to even call it an experiment. I would say that this was just overall just straight up like, damn, this was interesting. And I think Chazelle is at least for my money because again I haven't seen First Man, which I will get to one day. Um, he's three for three right now. Um, he's four for four, man. He's four for four. Yeah, four masterpieces. Yeah, I would go here. far to say that. <laughs> like, not just four great movies, four masterpieces, in my opinion. Same here. Like, and, and look, I kind of have been bearing the lead on First Man because uh, it's not part of this tr- like breaking Hollywood trilogy, if you will. But First Man, like, it is an incredible movie, and it shows. And I told David this when I saw the when I came out of the movie uh, on Sunday. What First Man showed was that Damien Chazelle could make a movie without you know him writing it. Because it is written by uh, Josh some other guy. Josh yes. It is written by uh, someone else. And it shows like what he can do on a studio budget. Like I feel like, like yeah, he got a lot of rain on La La Land. But La La Land, people forget, was like a 30 to $35 million budget. So he kind of, and Babylon was always going to be this big fucking movie. Mm-hmm. So I think doing First Man for Universal um and doing it in prepared him for this yes uh, you know absolutely well absolutely and doing it in a like a two year like less than two years mm-hmm. like prepare like gave paramount you know the confidence to let him have 
an $80 million budget for Babylon. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what Chazelle's career holds. We never ever really know what Chazelle's going to do next after he does a movie. Because mm-hmm. he's just one of those guys that just does it one at a time. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I mean, I think he'll be fine. Because even though mm-hmm. First Man wasn't a huge hit, or I, I think he also technically was uh, a disappointment at the box office. Mm-hmm. But it's still i think chazelle could still like make another movie even if he had to make a like a blumhouse movie mm-hmm. like he still can you know he's still gonna make another movie like we're gonna get another he's chazelle still movie. the youngest best director winner ever mm-hmm. so yeah. i mean i he, he'll, he'll be all right no matter what happens i think yeah he's gonna be fine yeah and I mean, if he keeps working with Lana Sangreen, you know, his kind of like typical group. I uh, think he will because, like, I think he and Justin Hurwitz were like um, roommates in college. Yes. And I mean, speaking is... of which, Justin Hurwitz's score is amazing. Uh, yeah. Lana Sangreen cinematography, gorgeous. We we talked a little bit about Tom Cross, so I won't. <laughs> but his his editing work is great as well. But man, I, I love those three col- those collaborators all coming together, and I liked that uh, we got to see at least Sangren and Cross go do a movie together without Chazelle over uh, for No Time to Die last year. That was pretty cool, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it yielded pretty great results. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and like the VFX people who worked on First Man worked on Dune, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I think we're winning. I think every, we're we're still gonna win, and we got a good movie. Like we, mm-hmm. like all three of us saw it, mm-hmm. and a lot of our friends have seen it. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like I feel like we're still winners, even though Babylon, um, unfortunately, will probably lose money. Yeah, but, uh, but as I like to quote, and I kind of quote this earlier, but um, I, I there's a scene from Top Gun Maverick that I've been kind of that's kind of been a motto this year. Be like your your uh, your kind is headed for extinction, and it's like maybe so, but not today. And that's the motto. And yeah, and then as we end the year out, because I think this will be the last podcast of the year. Uh, this was a great year for movies, but twenty twenty three, there's a lot of bangers. I, I will say, as someone that has seen some bangers, um, I won't say how, I won't say when, and I'm not going to reveal the titles, but uh, yeah, there's some stuff y'all should be keeping an eye out for, and I, yeah, I mean... Look, Josh, you New Scorsese t- coming in hot. <laughs> Look, Josh, we know you've seen Indiana Jones 5, okay? You don't have to keep telling us. Can we talk about so, how amazing that trailer was on the big screen? Holy mother, mother of pearl. Okay, so I saw it in front of, again, fucking Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> As everything else. And I, I saw it in IMAX, and like, holy smokes. Like, just... I, I think James, James Mangold. James, just fucking James Mangold. So we'll, we'll talk about it later, but I, I I think he was like the perfect successor to Spielberg for this franchise in a way, and we'll we'll get to that when we do the Indiana Jones eventually. But I I feel like he was well suited to take up that mantle or kind of mm. to put on the hat, so mm-hmm. the fedora. <laughs> and as a final note to that, I mean, I can see like why he would probably be nervous to do it because it is old man Indiana Jones, but. 
like this movie is like the best of his like it's the best of his movie so far. I mean you get a little bit of Night of Day, a little bit of Logan, but also a little bit of like Three Ten to Yuma in there. So mm-hmm. I mean I think I think he's like I think he's I, I think I agree with all of you. It, it, he is the great best part best for the job. Mm-hmm. Uh and yeah, no. Um so but that's but I think that's it for Babylon, guys. Mm-hmm. We did it. Um, we had some mild delays here and there. We went a little over, like usual, um, mm-hmm. which is going to be a headache. Um, but but no, uh, we did it. Uh, so, Josh, uh, starting with you, where can the good people find you on Twitter? Okay, so you guys can find me at jmari3729 at Twitter. Um, also, you can find me at A Conversation with Two Geeks or A Convo with Two Geeks. That's um, just with the number two, not the word, on Twitter as well. And yeah. And David, for you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at YHN underscore David. Uh, I have a Chazelle-based uh, profile picture. <laughs> my girlfriend and I were me and Sebastian for Halloween. Uh, so I have a picture where we were recreating. I have some pictures where we were recreating uh, some uh, some some of the, the lovely night scenes, uh, the dance scenes. Uh, so anyways, uh, <laughs> and then... Um, I have a blog called Film Assessment. Um, I'm working on right now. So I skipped 2020 and 2021, and I don't like having a gap. So I'm finally kind of coming out with that uh, best of 2020 and 2021 because uh, my best of 2022 is incoming. Um, I may not get it out till mid-January because there's some movies I want to see before I um, write it up. But that that is going to be incoming to my blog, um, and I hope to maybe write a review here and there again. So we'll see where that goes. But you can go check that out, film assessment. Awesome. And as a final housekeeping uh, uh, bit here, uh, we do have a couple more episodes before we get to the 2023 movie. So uh, we have a catch up episode coming up where David, um, where well, really a lot of us will come in and review movies that we miss. So like the whale or after sun or, um, white noise or, um, what are some others, David? Or they, um, I kind of, let's see. I think you, you did Pinocchio. Y'all did Pinocchio. Uh, yes. Bardo is one we might talk about. Yeah. Maybe decision to leave. Like there's a bunch of little things here and there. We missed yeah. out on. And after that episode, we will finally have the best of the year, and that and that's when like the we're gonna do a top ten and everything. You know the you guys know it. We we've yeah, been yeah. doing this for seven years now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that and then but yeah. Also, and then after I, that, yeah, well, also, the, since you guys are mentioning your best of year list, I might as well mention that like I am working on a best of year list for both film and TV. I also have an episode. I also have a catch up episode, uh, or actually, our um, um, on a conversation with two geeks. We have the current. Uh, we our next episode will be our twenty twenty two wrap up episode, where we talk about the movies and TV shows that we loved of this year. We also have a special guest on, and yeah, absolutely, uh, nice, absolutely. So, and uh, again, I will be putting links in the description below. Um, and yeah, that's it for 2023. Uh, we will talk about Megan, um, and in January, because there's a drought again, uh, we are going to be talking about the Hobbit trilogy, uh, to conclude our Lord of the Rings, 
uh, like extended discussion, cut. <laughs> extended podcast editions. Oh lord! Uh, Why? Oh, God. Why are you? Never. You know what? Uh, you you run you run the podcast. I I just I just wish you luck with the Hobbit trilogy. Josh, it's because I'm crazy. If you haven't figured it out already, um, but anyway, yeah. So we will do the Hobbit for the rest of January, and then we'll go back to our regular schedule, like Knock on the Cabin, Cocaine Bear, Ant Man, so on, so on, so on. So that's that's it. Um, keep up with more news, guys. Uh, and um, trying to think what else. Oh, and follow me at Movie Kale for more movie news. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back with you guys pretty... We'll be back pretty soon. Thank you, guys. See you guys in the new year. Happy holidays, everyone. It's the most magical place in the world. Yeah!